0: This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, preached on the seventh Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast or for more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal. I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio, in 1884. Text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the gospel lesson, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and gave thanks, and brake, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people, And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broke meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them away. Luther's Sermon This miracle our Lord Jesus Christ performed twice. In the season of Lent, we had occasion to hear that he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five barley loaves and two small fishes, and yet filled 12 baskets with fragments which remained. In the Gospel of today, you hear that he had fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fishes, and leaving seven baskets of fragments. It appears as though it had been appointed to preach about this miracle at this season, because it is the time of harvest, and people now begin to gather in the produce of the field, So that all by this lesson may be reminded of God's blessing, who is repeating daily the miracle he once performed in the wilderness, when, by little means accompanied by his blessing, he fed a multitude of people, so that they may thank him with all our heart for such benefit and for the fruits of the earth, which he annually bestows upon us and blesses. And although the supply should be small, or the produce of the field very limited, we should comfort ourselves, because our support does not depend on the quality which we possess but on the blessing of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. It is the nature of the wicked and unbelieving world that if they do not have plenty of everything, they begin to despair, as though they had to starve. God has continued to bless us richly for many years, and yet many act as though they had to die of starvation. The misers and usurers help along in this direction, refusing to sell their grain and wine for a reasonable price, but wait until they can get more. Those who do not want to recognize such blessings and miracles of God are no Christians at all, else they would more diligently seek the presence of the Lord Jesus and trust in His ability and blessing by which He can cause little means to supply large demands. Here we have a twofold comfort, namely that our dear Lord Jesus will provide the soul with the Word of God and the body with bread. God's people have no reason to doubt His promise to provide for them, He will not suffer them to starve, but will give them the necessities of life, though they may have to suffer want for a little while and be poor and despised, the world being an enemy of theirs and desirous of depraving them of the least crumb of bread. The Lord dispenses his blessing according to the rule which he has given, Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. For the evangelist informs us, That the people had been with Christ for three days, and what do you suppose the people were doing or seeking of him all this time? Undoubtedly nothing else but to hear his word. This is the reason also why he takes such an interest in their welfare, cares for them, and provides food that they may not perish. This then we learn to be the most important lesson, first to seek the kingdom and word of God. After this has been done well, we may leave the care of the body to our Lord Jesus, for if we are true students of his word, he has concluded already to keep us from starvation. Hence he says, I have compassion on the multitude. And if he had no bread, even stones would have been turned into bread. Thus also St. Mark in the 6th chapter, when referring to Christ feeding 5,000 people in the wilderness, states that Christ departed and went into a desert place. But when the people learned to know that this fact, they ran a foot thither out of all the cities and came together unto him. And when he saw them, as St. Mark saith, he was moved with compassion because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. This was the greatest misery which the Lord beheld as the good shepherd and bishop of souls, that they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. This was our condition also in the Popery. The one one called upon St. Barbara, the other upon St. Catherine, and no true preacher was to be found to lead, lead upon wholesome pasture, that is to teach the true doctrine. Everybody moved and lived in idolatry and error. Thus, St. Mark saith, it also was with the poor people of of the Jews. Priests and Levites were appointed to preach about the future Christ and his kingdom of grace, but what did they do? Instead of being shepherds, they turned out to be pernicious wolves. They preached their own dreams and suffered the poor sheep to famish, just as it was with us and popery, where no one knew that God is gracious for Christ's sake and always ready to forgive sins, and where no one could tell how he stood with God. Everyone thought if he was to be saved at all, it had to be accomplished, in part at least, by his own works and life. This is the first great misery which the Lord beholds in the people. He is moved with compassion and teaches them many things as though he would say, What are those wicked priests and Levites doing? Here's a multitude of people who are anxious to hear and learn something about God, but there is no one to teach and to lead them. Those who are appointed to do it spend their time in pomp and avarice and offerings. Hence, St. Mark says, They were as sheep, having no shepherd. Alas, when a sheep has no shepherd, it is a poor and forsaken creature. Even when it has a shepherd and dogs to watch it and a to fold to protect it, there is danger. How much more if it has no shepherd, no dog, and no fold? Thus also it is with us poor sinners. Those who cheerfully hear the gospel and continue in prayer and besides have faithful teachers and pastors have enough to do to secure themselves against the attacks of the wolf. Must not then Satan have all his own way where the word and preaching of the word is not even heard? Wherever people have not the word of God in its purity and nobody knows how to pray and how to commend himself unto God, it is easy to persuade them to call upon this or that saint as a Savior and to lead them all astray among the wolves." Such misery and great danger the Lord here endeavors to remove, in the first place, by preaching, and by calling and gathering through His word the wandering sheep. We have great reason, therefore, to consider the inestimable benefits of the Lord, and to praise Him for looking with eyes of love and compassion upon the people, and for taking such an interest in them as they stray without a shepherd. Although he had gone into the desert place, as St. Mark saith, for the purpose of resting, yet he has compassion on the multitude because of their spiritual hunger and the starving condition in which he found them, preaches them a long sermon, and, first of all, feeds and comforts their souls. This also we find in the Gospel of today, in which the evangelist tells us that the people had been with the Savior three days, doubtless for the purpose of hearing his teaching. It would have been well if these teachings had been recorded, But the object of the evangelist was merely to describe the work of the Savior. This is the first point, that our dear Lord Jesus is very solicitous and is moved by compassion for lost souls. He ariseth from prayer to his heavenly Father, takes pity on the poor people, and teaches them. How at the last day will this Savior meet those unfaithful pastors who have been careless in their office or have even misled those who had been entrusted to their care or those princes and lords who compel the people to commit idolatry and do not permit the word to be preached unto them in its purity? But especially, what will our bishops say and how will they justify themselves who have in the name and office of bishops and pastors as of God But do nothing but knowingly keep the people in idolatry and away from the true knowledge of the word and true worship, who on the contrary punish their subjects bodily and pernicularly if they do not yield to such idolatry and refuse to be engaged in it. And again, what will our fathers and mothers say who do not with all diligence teach their children and servants to go to church and to study the word of God? "'Our Lord will undoubtedly say, "'Masters and mistresses, kings and princes, "'you have had many souls under your control. "'It was your duty to train them up in the fear of God "'and diligently to teach them the word of God, "'but you have not done it. "'You have suffered them to grow up in wickedness "'and without the fear of God. "'Of whom shall I demand an account "'for such an unspeakable loss? "'Of no one but you parents, husbands and wives, "'kings and princes, to whom I have committed such a trust, "'but you have neglected to teach your children, "'servants and subjects.' It is not enough for fathers and mothers, princes and lords to secure external peace for their children and subjects and to provide for them bodily, but they should especially see to it that children, servants and subjects be led into a knowledge of the truth, that their souls, first of all, be fed on spiritual food, and that men may fear God, live godly and be saved. The highest and most noble work and worship which we can perform here upon earth consists in leading others and especially those committed to our care, to a true knowledge of God and the Holy Gospel. The devil is a great enemy of such good works and opposes it vehemently by sex and persecutions. Besides, it is difficult and requires much anxiety and labor to bring children and young people to such a stage that they embrace the doctrine and become pious. This service and great charity the Lord performs, first helping those poor people spiritually It is really sanctifying the Sabbath and a better service to God and man than if the Lord had given to everyone who heard his preaching a thousand pieces of silver. The spiritual food by which man lives forever is far superior to all bodily food. Such example ought to be imitated by fathers and mothers, masters and mistresses and magistrates. By so doing they might earn heaven, as it were. That is, by saving souls from the tyranny of the devil, they would perform a most noble work very highly pleasing to God. After this work of spiritual charity was performed, that is, after the Savior had been preaching, which indeed is the greatest charity, he begins to attend to the less important, that of feeding the body. For Christ did not come to destroy soul or body, but to save both, hence it is not right to kill oneself by fasting and prayer like the Carthusians. Our body is required, indeed, to labor and to exercise itself and not to be idle, but we are to labor in such a manner that our bodies remain in good health and suffer no harm. Whoever abuses his body commits suicide, as was done by many of the papists and cloisters who injured themselves and caused their premature death by too much praying, fasting, singing, watching, mortifying, reading, unnatural position when lying down and the like. All such unnecessary self-torture should be avoided as a great sin. Sirach saith in the 33rd chapter, fodder, a wand, and burdens are for the ass, and bread, correction, and work for a servant. And further on he adds, but be not, Excessive toward any, and without discretion, do nothing; our body is mortal, therefore, it must have food to preserve health and strength. farther, it must not be idle, but be engaged in labour else it would become restless and lascivious, and in the third place, it must be scourged or punished that it may be continue that it may continue or persevere and not become careless and indolent. Yet, all these things must be kept in proper bounds; man cannot work always. He also must have rest, without which no one would be enabled to live any length of time. For this reason, God has given the day for labor and the night for rest. We also set apart an hour at noon to take our meal. God is no murderer like the devil, who induces the self righteous to fast, pray, and watch themselves to death. God has no pleasure in such a proceeding. Therefore, it is said by the wise man Be moderate in all things. This is the second comfort that we should suit ourselves to the circumstances and, first of all, inquire after the word of God. It matters not if this must be done in the wilderness where we have to suffer want. Our Lord is rich and ready to provide for our wants and to care for us in a much better way than we could care for ourselves. We can accomplish nothing by our care at any rate. But where God cares, there is abundance, though there be nothing at hand as we see in our gospel lesson. The apostles also care, but in a different way. They follow the way of human reason, according to which they ask, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? By such a care they accomplish less than nothing. But when Christ careth for the multitude and begins to furnish bread, though there were but seven loaves and a few fishes, there is no lack. Four thousand men beside women and children, of whom undoubtedly there was a great number, are satisfied, and seven baskets full remain of the broken meat that was left." Now, if a man were sure that he could live and subsist on a few pieces of silver, just as well as a rich man could live and subsist on ten thousand pieces, he, would he feel uneasy, though he had but one piece? And would he esteem the other with his own ten thousand richer than himself? And if the one with ten thousand boasted on account of them, could not the former mockingly tell him, "'Your rejoicing is in vain, though you have a great deal, yet you have no advantage over me, except that you still have more to count?' Your 10,000 pieces of silver do not reach further than one piece of mine. How does it come that we, being Christians, or at least claiming to be, do not learn this lesson and act accordingly, neither comforting ourselves with our abundance, nor being alarmed when we are in need? For if we make proper and diligent use of the word of God, we shall not suffer want. Christ cares for us, and we shall have the necessities of life." It matters not whether we have much or little, all depends on his blessing. For if he adds his blessing to the meager supply in your possession, there will be no lack. But on account of such blessing, you shall have an abundance and more will be left than you had in the beginning. This we should rightly learn. Then we would not trouble ourselves, even in times of poverty, and would be able also to guard against avarice, which otherwise is continually disturbing us. It is an evil habit to which we are all given to think those who are rich to be less exposed to danger and to be better provided for. This is the reason why everybody deserves to be rich, and people at last care nothing for God or man if only they succeed in their avaricious plans and accumulate great possessions. Those who will diligently consider this miracle of Christ will have different thoughts. They will not find their comfort in abundance, nor be discouraged when in want. They will rather conclude, Whoever has Christ has a steward who is able to make much out of little, yea, to make all out of nothing. On the other hand, where Christ and his blessings are not present, the greatest possessions vanish and decrease from day to day. These seven loaves and few fishes were perhaps intended as a meal for the Lord and his disciples. Because the Lord was accustomed at times to withdraw from his friends for prayer and other purposes, the disciples had to provide food for such journeys. But as a great multitude of people, having nothing to eat, came unto the Lord, the supply of food had to answer for the whole multitude. As soon as the Lord took the seven loaves, broke them, and gave them unto his disciples to set before them, they visibly increased in his hands, so that the more he broke and gave, the more he had to give." This miracle is performed also for the good of the disciples who seek his word, but only when there is need for it. Therefore, whoever desires such a blessing must not complain of want and adversity. Hold to the word and be faithful in your vocation according to the command of Christ, and let him care for the supply of your wants. Never has it been seen or heard that a Christian died for want of bread. They may be persecuted and put into prison, and many of them may have to suffer death, but when they have enjoyed the greatest of gifts and believed the word, they always have had the, necess- the necessaries of life. Christians are not to be concerned about having luxurious living like the rich. In the case before us, there is but plain living. The Savior provides his guests with a piece of bread and fish and a drink of water, not with ten different kinds of dishes and malls me and other costly wines as the rich do who have great abundance. It is also the will of the Lord that his Christians here below during the short time of their earthly pilgrimage should not strive after great riches, but be satisfied with what he sees proper to give them. If we have enough to live on and are well, what more do we want? With that, be satisfied. If others have more, let them thank God and be careful not to abuse their riches to their own injury. It is evident that the sumptuous living of the rich is not very wholesome in the end, And we should rather choose a piece of bread and a drink of water with good health than the affluence which is followed by disease and a sickly body. This is generally observed to be the case among the wealthy who care more for voluptuous living than for the necessaries of life. As a natural consequence, many of them fall a prey to all kinds of diseases and die a premature death, whilst the poor, living on scantly means, enjoy good health and a long life. And it serves such voluptuaries right. They should be temperate in eating and drinking, do away with all superfluity, and content themselves with plain and wholesome food to satisfy their wants, and might thus be cheerful and happy. But instead of doing this, they go on in their their accustomed extravagance to the injury of their health, contracting all kinds of diseases and dying a premature death. Meantime, what becomes of the poor who are in want even of dry bread and whom the rich should not permit to suffer? They would be provided for If the rich would feel like sparing some of their abundance and were less extravagant in clothing and feasting, in which a great deal is wasted and squandered, rich people generally follow the footsteps of the rich man, as recorded Luke 16, and do not regret anything spent for splendor and sumptuous living. When they are asked to clothe the poor, and in any way to lend them a helping hand, they make excuses or do it very reluctantly. They show a decided unwillingness to do their duty in this regard, as though doing so would be their ruin." Hence it is perfectly right that God suffers them either to lose all, so that though they were accustomed to cause wine to flow in streams, they are glad to quench their thirst with a drink of water, or, if they do not come to want, to be afflicted with bodily disease and pain more grievous than poverty. The rich have their special plagues and diseases, such as gout, cramps, apoplexy, and the like. Such is their reward for overfeeding themselves and letting poor people suffer want, whilst the poor are rewarded for their suffering by being permitted to enjoy good health and be cheerful, though they have only bread and water. This is demonstrated by the proceeding of the Savior, who presented to the people only the necessary food consisting in a piece of bread and fish, yet gave them enough to satisfy all and have some over. Thus our gospel teaches us to know, the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Father, who is desires to help us in temporal and spiritual things, first giving His Word and teaching us to know God and to be saved by His grace. Furthermore, it teaches us that God will not forsake those who suffer want on account of the Word, but that He will bless their little store and cause it to increase and satisfy all our wants, contrary to all human reason and calculation. For such teachings, we should thank God today, and beseech him to bestow on us his temporal and spiritual blessing. For Christ's sake. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the text. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org.